Good day, gentlemen. How are you? It's Friday. That means it's Fridays with the fellas. We're talking about manhood. Glad you are with us. A very masculine morning to you, Dale. Good morning, Keith. Glad you all could be with us. Hey, we are talking manhood on Fridays. Oink, oink. <laughs> hey, you got it. You're jumping ahead. Very good. Talk about manhood and... Uh, I want to go on a rant here, but I'm not going to. As you see what's happening in the world, as we observe what's happening in the church, there are so many needs, but right near the top seems to me is men who know what men are supposed to do and to be and to act like. Ugh. So I'm glad you're here. Tell some of your friends about this. Take them through the book of Proverbs and talk about the stuff that we are, we're working through here. We need men. Oh, do we need men? Dale says, just saying it's el dia and not day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're studying Proverbs, a book uh, of collection of sayings written from a man, a very wise man. To his sons, so we want to learn and be wise men. Uh, but I want to start actually in First Corinthians this morning, and then we'll get back to Proverbs. Beginning verse twenty, Paul, the apostle, says this: "Where is the wise man? Where is he? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world?" And if you know this section, you know that Paul has a, he has an agenda here. He has a, has a point. I shouldn't say agenda. That means a bad thing a lot of times. But he's, he's trying to show that in the wisdom of men, they did not come to the truth of Jesus. And God in his quote, and he uses kind of, we'd, we'd want to put scare quotes, in the foolishness of God, the foolishness of preaching of the death and resurrection of Christ, he displayed his godly wisdom. He, he, his wisdom, his foolishness of the gospel being preached is wiser than the wisdom of men kind of thing. So the whole point of this passage is man's wisdom does not lead to the truth. It's the gospel, right? But along the way, he makes this point. To the Jews, to those who are called Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So where do we find wisdom? It starts, like everything else starts, it starts with Jesus and understanding who he is, what he has done. He goes on, this explains this further, and then he makes another statement that is uh, interesting, he says here, but by his doing, that is by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. All right, so we want to start there. As we look at the book of Proverbs and, and general wise sayings, we want to make sure that we understand we can't get there apart from Christ. But here's the flip side of that. In Christ, we have God's wisdom. We can be, we must be wise men. We have 
come to wisdom incarnate. Wisdom is not a scarcity. If you know anything about economics, you know economics has to do with, I should ask Dale, he's probably our resident economist here. Um, we know that wi- that economy has, economics rather, has something to do with scarce resources, right? How do we how do we use scarce resources? Well, wisdom appears to be scarce <laughs> when you look out at the world. And like I said, even in the church, it sure seems like at times that the wisdom must be a scarce commodity that only a few possess. But it should not be that way, brothers. We have Christ. The wisdom of God indwells you by his spirit. Wisdom should not be scarce in the church, but alas, it so often seems to be. So as we study, I just want you to be encouraged. We have this. Now let's look a little more closely at how God describes wisdom and pursue it. All right. So uh, we're in chapter eight today of Proverbs. And uh, when we get to chapter 10 here shortly, and and in some ways in chapter 9, we start getting closer to those, what we think of when we think of Proverbs. We think of these short, pithy statements, just one-offs kind of thing, right, that are sort of disconnected, just brief sayings. But up through these first eight chapters or so, we see a little bit more of extended arguments, extended presentations, and that's what we see here in chapter 8. So let's take a look at it. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? These are rhetorical questions with the expected answer. Yes, wisdom does call out. Yes, understanding does raise her voice. If you listen, you can hear her. You can hear wisdom as she cries out to you. Again, as a Christian, you have the embodiment of wisdom in you. Listen for him. <laughs> Here in Proverbs 8, she's wisdom is personified as a woman, but Christ is a man. Anyway, listen for the voice of wisdom. She's in all of us. At the top of the prominent places along the way, at the intersection of the paths, she has taken her stand. Beside the gates opening into the city, at the entrance of the doorways, she cries out. This is, this is where we do business. This is where we live. We walk in the town square kind of thing. Like Wherever you are, in your workplaces, in your work pursuits, in, in, on the highways and byways, those kind of things. Wherever we are, wisdom is crying out, making noise, saying, hey, here I am, listen to me. Wisdom is not far from us. To you, O people, I call out, and my voice calls to all mankind. You who are naive, discern wisdom, and you fools understand discernment. Wisdom wants to be found. Whether you are the simpleton, the fool, or already possess wisdom, she wants more of us. Listen, she says, for I will speak excellent things and my lips will utter what is right. When wisdom speaks, she speaks the noble things, the things that need to be heard, 
and the things that are right. For my mouth speaks truth and my lips hate wickedness. All right, so here we begin to see wisdom is not only about making good practical choices. And we're going to see a lot of that in this book of Proverbs. What to do with money, what not to do with money, what to do with time and sleep and and how to not be a, a, an annoyance to your neighbor and all this. The kinds of things that unbelievers could learn from and implement and would be at some level wiser. But notice here in the Proverbs, wisdom and folly are never removed from what is right and what is wicked. In other words, godly wisdom pursues what is right and true, which is what God is all about, as opposed to folly, which is wicked. You see the difference? You see how it's not simply a matter of smart what we'd call smart decisions, you know, a, an unbeliever can save money, invest it well, and not waste it on lottery tickets or spend it on foolish things that, that pretty soon they don't have any. Unbelievers are capable of making those kind of wise decisions, but if they're not pursuing godliness, then it's still not wisdom in the biblical sense. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? So when wisdom speaks, she speaks truth and her lips hate wickedness. So there's a, there's a connection here between folly and wickedness, righteousness and truth. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing in them twisted or crooked. No perversions, just what is right in God's eyes. All of them, that is all my words, are clear to the discerning and upright to those who find knowledge. If you want to discern right from wrong, wise from unwise, if you want true knowledge, you have it in Christ. Listen for it. The words are clear. You can know how to make the right decisions. Think about this. How many decisions do you have to make today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Whether it's in your job, in your family, in your home, dealing with your neighbors, we have decisions to make all the time. If nothing else, what do I do with my time? All right, when I get done here in 15 minutes, you're going to have a decision to make. What do I do now? You can make wise decisions. You have the mind of Christ. You have the spirit of Christ. You have his word. You can make wise decisions. Listen for lady wisdom. And she'll help you use that time well. It says, receive my instruction rather than silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And desirable things cannot be compared to her. Uh, someone, oink, oink, put that, right? More valuable than rubies and the gold. Pursuing godly wisdom has more value than striking it rich, finding a gold mine. 
Do we believe that? Yeah, I know we do. But it's going to be reminded of this, right? I, wisdom, have dwelt with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And here's maybe the first practical statement here. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride and the evil way and perverse utterances. So remember how Proverbs started. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And now we get kind of a definition of what it means to fear the Lord. It's to hate evil. And a couple of the evils that are laid out here are arrogant pride, the evil way, perverse utterances. So we have to ask ourselves, as men who are pursuing wisdom, who want to be wise in this world, we want to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of that wisdom. Do you fear the Lord? Let me ask you a question, those of you who are with me. There is a, uh, a way to test whether you fear the Lord embedded in this verse 13 here. Do you see it? What's the test? If you want to determine whether or not you fear the Lord, what is the test, sort of the evaluative tool you could use here to see if you really fear the Lord? Do you see it? While I'm waiting for somebody to answer that question, let me take a look and see what, uh, what Dale just said. It's interesting that Proverbs starts with conceptual, metaphorical, good and bad women trying to lure you and ends with a very practical woman to seek out in reality. Yeah, we see that more than once through this, uh, don't we? The juxtaposition of the prostitute, the harlot, the seductress, the temptress, stay away from her, and yet Lady Wisdom the noble wisdom, she's the one we should pursue. Yeah, great observation. Uh, not the only time the Bible uh, compares the uh, virtuous women, woman from the non-virtuous. All right, I uh, haven't seen any answers yet. What is the test here for whether or not, if you want to ask yourself, do I really fear the Lord? How do I know? Well, if the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, one question we can ask ourselves is, do I hate evil? Hate is not simply an, uh, an emotion here where you have some sort of visceral response, but, but it includes the idea of rejecting. So if you're the type that sits around and wags your finger at evil all the time, that's not quite getting it. It's rejecting it. So it's worth asking ourselves, do I fear the Lord? Well, do I reject evil? Do I reject arrogant pride? Do I reject the evil way? Perverse utterances? When you hear people take the truth and righteousness and make it crooked, take what's supposed to be straight and make it crooked, do you reject that? Like when someone comes along and says a male can become a female? No, you can't do that. That's taking a straight, <laughs> that's kind of funny, isn't it? Play on words there. Taking a straight statement, a male is a male, and making it crooked, perverse, 
Do we reject that? And of course, that's just sort of an obvious example of our day. If you really fear the Lord, then you hate evil, you reject it, you, you refuse to speak of it, and you hold to what is true and right and good, regardless of the cost, regardless of how uh, people respond to you, your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors. We're not concerned about their opinion of us. We're going to stick to what is true, what is right, the straight and narrow, so to speak. Uh, Dale says, as with most biblical wisdom, the hard part is actually doing it and wanting it when it counts. Yeah, because there's a cost to it. There's a price to be paid for walking in wisdom. We are going to be mocked, shamed, called bigots, whatever, but we don't care because we want to be wise men. And the foundation of our wisdom is fearing the Lord. So that means we're going to believe and articulate what is what is true right there's a cost but there's a gain now so often as christians we kind of default to the gain is our eternal reward and that's true but let's continue on there's also temporal reward here counsel and sound wisdom belong to me says this lady I possess understanding and might. If we stay in the fear of the Lord and wisdom, we have counsel, we have sound wisdom, we have understanding and might. She says, by, by me, kings reign. By the way, do you see, well, you will see as you pay attention, Christ, Jesus here is, is sort of personified in this lady wisdom. It's kind of a weird thing, way to say it, but you can, if you know what the scripture says about Jesus, you can see his embodiment of wisdom in this proverb as well. But we're going to stick to the, to the immediate context. By me, kings reign. By me, potentates decree righteousness. By me, princes rule as well as nobles and all righteous judges. The person who cares about what is right and true has wisdom. And that's the kind of kings, right? That's what we want. Oh, is that what we should pray for? Governors who will rule with righteousness and true godly wisdom. Lady Wisdom says, I will love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. This is what I meant at the beginning. Wisdom is not out of reach for us. We have Christ. We have the embodiment of wisdom. If we pursue wisdom, we will find it. Riches and honor are with me, long-lasting wealth and righteousness. There is temporal reward for wise decisions. My fruit is better than the purest gold, and my harvest is better than choice silver. Uh, Lon, I don't know if you're with us this morning. Uh, he's one of our regulars, but uh, since I changed the time, he can't always make us live. But he left a, a comment the other day, and it seems to be missing, at least on my end. But anyway, one of the things he was asking was, I think, and I hope I'm paraphrasing this correctly, but he was somewhere recently had heard a, a, a teacher talking about the, the promises given to Israel fulfilled in the church, and it sounded kind of like a prosperity gospel sort of thing. I hope I'm summarizing that fairly. And he was asking what I think. Well, what I think is any kind of true prosperity gospel is not biblical. 
the the whole idea of just just you know the name it and claim it kind of thing. Um, now here's the thing: all the promises of God are yes in Christ, right? Second Corinthians one twenty. So that means the land and and health and all the promises given to the old covenant saints are are fulfilled in Christ. But it's not a uh, a simple transition to oh now we can just read through the Old Testament and take everything that was promised to them and apply it. No, there's more going on than that. And indeed, the fullest fulfillment, if you will, of all those promises are the eternal life, resurrection life, and so on. So yeah, I would reject anything that smacks of the name and claim it, prosperity gospel kind of thing. However, we see plenty, I see at least plenty of Old and New Testament passages that speak of what we would call temporal prosperity that is for the church with exceptions. God always has the right to, uh, to make exceptions to his general truths. The Apostle Paul, for instance, when he was called, uh, his life was largely one of persecution. Everywhere he went, he got beat up, thrown in jail, that kind of thing. Well, I'm not Paul and you're not Paul. Some of us may be called to suffer more affliction than others. But at the same time, generally, when Jesus, generally, I believe the New Testament teaches that if we pursue wisdom, that will lead to temporal blessings. Uh, Think about Jesus saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Yeah, that's, that has to be our priority. Seek his kingdom, seek righteousness. And then what's he say? And all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? Food, clothing, those kind of things. So I think we should reject both the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel as though poverty, uh, and, and that's, by the way, I owe that statement to Dale. He's the first one I heard use that. I told him I was going to steal it and use it. Um, we... We don't want to pursue poverty. So all that to say, living life wisely, making wise decisions as God defines uh, wisdom, will generally lead to life and, and prosperity. Again, there are exceptions. And that's not to be our primary motivation. Wisdom. Christ-likeness, seeking first his kingdom. That's our primary motivation. But as we do that, generally, it leads to better life. But we've got to aim at the right thing, which is Christ-likeness and wisdom here. See that? Righteousness, justice. I walk in the path of righteousness and the pathway of justice that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. See the order here? Pursue wisdom, pursue doing what is right, pursue justice, and then wisdom wants to repay that with wealth and full treasuries. The Lord created me as the beginning of his works before his deeds of long ago. From eternity, I have been fashioned from the beginning, from before the world existed. When there was no deep oceans, I was born. When there was no springs overflowing with water. See, this is saying that wisdom lay behind all that God did when he created the world. This 
thriving, flourishing world, wisdom existed before that. Before the mountains were set in place, before the hills I was born, before he made the earth and its fields or the topsoil of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he marked out the horizon over the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he secured the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree that the water should not pass over his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. I, I love this because the imagery is, what did God use to make this unbelievable world we live in, this, this fantastic earth? I mean, we think about it. Think about simple things like we put a little seed in the ground, put some water on it, and a little while later, it grows into this big bush or tree that produces fruit that we can eat that is delightful and nourishing. How did God come up with that? By wisdom. Wisdom is productive. Godly wisdom is is leads to thriving and flourishing and producing things. We see that in God. Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth and delighting in its people. The earth was made to be lived in, to be pursued. Life is to be pursued and with wisdom. So now, children, listen to me. Listen to wisdom. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction so that you may be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching at my doors day by day, waiting beside my doorway. For the one who finds me has found life and received favor from the Lord. But the one who misses me brings harm to himself all who hate me, that is all who hate wisdom, love death. So we have Christ, we have life embodied, we have the mind of Christ. Let us be men who pursue the fear of the Lord, rejecting evil, making sound, wise, right, just decisions, and then receive all the blessing that comes with that. The world needs to see godly wisdom. The church needs to see it. Your families, your friends, we need it in a world that is full of folly and wickedness. So that's my exhortation to you. Grow in wisdom, brothers. Have a great weekend. Celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. We will see you on Monday, Lord willing. Take care.